be great. Thanks, uh, thanks, Spencer. Oh, that was wonderful, wasn't it, to see those um, little illustrations and particularly to remember uh, that not even death uh, can stop our God. Hey, it's great to be here this morning. Uh, my name's Steve, if you haven't met me. Uh, it's a wonderful privilege to be able to open up Daniel chapter 5. And I want to start uh, this morning just by asking a question. The question is this. How do you react when the writing is on the wall? Uh, you know that phrase, right? The writing is on the wall. It's a, it's a famous phrase. It's a phrase we use quite often today. Uh, when our footy team fails to make the finals again, the writing is on the wall for the coach, right? Uh, when, when a business can no longer compete in an ever-changing market, the writing is on the wall. Uh, when a leader loses the confidence of their members, the writing ought to be on the wall <laughs> for that. When a report, uh, when the report from the doctor comes back, as we'd feared, then the writing is on the wall. How do you react when the writing is on the wall? It, it's a phrase that, that we use today, isn't it? It's a phrase... Uh, that we use to say that something bad is about to happen in the future. It's a phrase that we use uh, when we're not sure if our future is actually going to be a good future. And that phrase comes from Daniel chapter 5. Isn't that amazing? Uh, see, in Daniel chapter 5, the passage we've just had read, we meet a proud, arrogant, immoral king who for him, the writing was literally on the wall. But my question for us as we start today is when you know in your life that maybe the writing is on the wall, when you feel uncertain about the future, when there's insecurity and worries in your life, when you're not sure if things will be as you hoped they would be, when things in life are uncertain, my question is, how do you react in that space? How do you live in that space of uncertainty? When things are uncertain, what is it that's going on in here in your mind? What, what sort of thoughts keep going around and around? When things are uncertain, what's going on in here, in your heart? What sort of feelings keep impacting the way you live? You know, I know for me... Uh, when things seem out of control, when things seem a bit uncertain, I seem to go one of two ways. Uh, maybe I'm just a typical bloke, I don't know, but, but I, I either try to fix things or I try to escape things. I don't know about you. Here's, here's what I try to do. If, if I go into fix-it mode, for example, when things are feeling uncertain, I, I try to fix it. I, and the way I try to fix things often is by research. I try to get all the information I can about the particular problem that I'm facing. I, I talk to people, I scroll through the internet, I, I gather all the information and I try to work out a way forward. When I go into fix-it mode, what I'm trying to do is actually to control the future by my own knowledge. But the problem is, often I can't fix it. Often I learn that I can't actually control the future. And sometimes, or perhaps oftentimes, 
that frustrates me. There's a frustration that comes in my heart when I feel that things are out of control and I can't control them. And often I see that frustration come out in my words. In short, sharp, harsh words sometimes with the people closest to me. You know, Jesus says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. I think we live in really uncertain times, don't we? And I think a really helpful question for us to ask at the moment is, how have my words been lately? How have my words been lately? Because our words actually give an indication of what's going on in our hearts. Sometimes I try to control the situation by fixing it. But other times, you know, I can tend to go the other way. If if it all seems too hard, then sometimes I just try to escape the situation, just kind of leave it alone and and not engage with it. You know, sometimes I'll just go out to my shed and I'll sort screws and put on music and just try to forget about things. Sometimes I'll just sit on my phone and I'll scroll through Facebook or Instagram and just waste time. Sometimes I'll actually find myself pouring an extra glass of wine while watching a movie in order to just kind of switch off, to escape, to not feel what I'm feeling. I don't know about you. When things seem uncertain, when there's that feeling of insecurity, how do you react in that space? Do you try to fix it? Do you try to escape it? Do you, do you just try and do something else? Do you spend lots of money on yourself so you just feel good for a moment? How do you react in the uncertainty of life? You know, it seems to me, as we come to Daniel chapter 5, it seems to me that Daniel 5 is all about how we live in the face of uncertainty. Initially, I take it that this chapter, it just looks like a pretty wild party, um, But underneath, I want to show you this morning that I think this passage is all about one man, a king, who knows he can't control the future. And so in that place of uncertainty, I think he's doing whatever he can to feel okay about himself. I'm really glad that you're tuning in if you're here online. If you're here with us today, I'd love it if you could have your Bible open Uh, We're going to work through Daniel 5. We're going to firstly look at the party. We're going to look at the writing on the wall. And then we're going to hear the message. So firstly, let's just have a look again at this party. The first thing we see as we open up this chapter is a pretty wild party, don't you reckon? Uh, I work with uni students. I'm a chaplain to the uni here in Bendigo. Um, And it seems to me that this is a little bit like orientation week on steroids. Like This is a wild party. Party. Let me just reread verses 1 to 4 for us. It says this King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. And while Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the kings and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. And as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, 
and stone. So here we have King Belshazzar, this new Babylonian king, and he gathers all the nobles, a thousand of them. They crack out the wine and they start drinking. So this is a big party, right? This is a wild party, and it's a particularly wild party because you see there in verse 2 that Belshazzar invites all his wives and all the concubines to come to the party. Now, a concubine, you might know, is a woman who was essentially used for sex. So this party is filled with alcohol, it's filled with sex, and it's also filled with pride and boasting. Did you notice that in verse 2? In verse 2, what does Belshazzar do? He orders for the gold and the silver goblets that the previous king had brought back after defeating the Jews. So he gets these goblets from the temple, these cups that are kind of symbols of previous victories. And he drinks from them and he toasts his gods with them. Do you see what he's doing? He's boasting in his power, in his might. We defeated them. We won, right? How great are we? Drinking, sex, boasting. It's a wild, immoral party. But I guess my question is, why? Why this party? Why the drinking? Why the sex? Why, why the boasting? Well, I, I actually think for Belshazzar, and, and I think for many of us today, These kind of actions that we see, I think, are actually an attempt to cover over a deep sense of insecurity. See, let me fill you in just a little bit on the history of what was happening here at the time. Uh, This is the year 539 BC. Uh, Daniel, who we've met in previous weeks, is now 85 years old. And Nebuchadnezzar, the previous king, has died. So this new king... Belshazzar has taken the throne of Babylon. And history tells us that most likely only about one week before this particular party happens, there is a man named Cyrus the Persian. And Cyrus has brought the great army of the Medo-Persian Empire and just 50 miles from Babylon at a place called Opus, Cyrus has decisively defeated the Babylonian army. So what that means is that on the night of this particular party, Babylon is completely defenceless. So everyone in Babylon on the night of this party is living in this moment of fear and uncertainty because they don't know what's going to happen next. You know, would the Medes and the Persians just march into Babylon and raise it to the ground? Uh, Would they come in and just take out the leaders and make the rest of them slaves? Nobody knew, right? Nobody knew. Everybody was scared. They had no certainty about the future. And it's in that situation that Belshazzar holds this party. And I think we've really got to know that to kind of understand what's going on here. See, all the commentators who write about this, they they speculate and they, they say, why a wild, sensual party at a time like this? And some commentators have said, well, you know, it's just denial. You know, it's escapism. Belshazzar, he doesn't want to face the reality, so he's just going to drink himself into oblivion. Some have said it's all political. You know, Belshazzar's trying to keep his people happy. Let's have a great party. Everyone's going to enjoy themselves. 
Others have said it's just him kind of being macho, you know, like, well, I've always lived like a king, so if I'm going to die, I'm going to die like a king. But, you know, I, I wonder if there's actually something more to it than that. See, the main point that I see here is that I think the more unstable we are as people, the more kind of insecure we are about the future, the more we frantically try to just grab hold of something that's going to make us feel okay. See, Belshazzar, he knows he's going to lose it all. He knows that before the writing actually appears on the wall. But he goes on this wild bender of drunkenness, of sex, of boasting. And we don't know exactly why he does it. You know, there's no particular commentary to say that, but... But here's my hunch. I wonder if maybe, maybe he's getting drunk just to escape the pain. I mean, we still see that today, don't we? So many people turning to alcohol because they don't have hope for the future. Or perhaps maybe he, he's engaging in this sexual immorality just to, just to feel loved for a moment. I mean, we still see that today, don't we? You know, I take it that the great lie of the pornography industry that so dominates some people's lives is that the person that they're watching on the screen actually loves them. That's the great lie. Or, or perhaps Belshazzar is actually boasting in his wealth and those previous victories those previous achievements, just in order to feel secure for a moment. I mean, we, we still see that today, don't we? I mean, how many of us, when our money starts to feel a bit tight, just feel really insecure? And then the paycheck comes in for that week and we feel okay again. What are we trusting in there in that moment? So, you know, I think this party... In the heart of this king, there are some, just some deep longings in his heart that we all have, aren't there? He's trying to escape worry. He wants to feel loved. He, he wants to be secure. The problem is, though, that the way that Belshazzar tries to fill those longings is through sin. And it's ugly, Right? It's full of sin because he's trying to do it all himself through things and not God. And you know, as we keep reading, we literally see God's judgment on that kind of behaviour. See what happens there in verses 5 to 6? Let me read it out. It says, Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and, he's, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. Suddenly, right? Or actually some translations use the word immediately, right? The very second that those words of boasting in verse 4 leave Belshazzar's lips, immediately after that, God comes and God intervenes. God gives this immediate powerful message right in front of the lampstand. Do you notice that little detail? Isn't that cool? Um, right in front of the lampstand where you can clearly see it. And the king sees it, verse 6, and he changes colour. 
he goes pale. It's actually a really famous painting uh, by Rembrandt uh, that captures this very moment. Uh, Belshazzar is petrified as he looks. He turns pale. The blood drains away from his face. And in the panic, right, he calls in the wise men of Babylon. In verse 7, you read there, it says, he, he says to them, you know, whoever can read this writing and tell me what it means, you'll be clothed in purple and you'll have gold chain placed around your neck. They'll be made the third highest in the kingdom. So in verse 8, all the king's wise men, they come in, but they, they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale and his nobles were baffled. The wise men, do you see, um, they, they don't know what this writing means. They can't work it out. And so as we keep reading, we see in verses 10 to 12, the, the queen comes in and the queen reminds them of Daniel. Uh, Daniel, who you might remember back in chapter 1, was better than all the magicians and the enchanters. Daniel, who again and again has proven that God is the one who re reveals mysteries to him. He is the one whose God's spirit is on. And so as we keep reading, we see that Daniel is summoned, Daniel is brought in. And what does Daniel say to this king, this proud king, this scared king? Well, in verses 18 to 20, he gives him a history lesson. Did you notice that? Daniel actually describes the previous king, how King Nebuchadnezzar had lived as though he was God. He had he'd exalted himself. He'd lived only for himself. And God humbled him. God stripped everything from him. And in verse 22, Daniel turns to Belshazzar. And he says, and you, his son, you, Belshazzar, you have not humbled yourself. Though you knew all of this, you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. You, Belshazzar, have been proudly building your own kingdom. You've been living only for yourself. You found your refuge in, in wine, in women, in wealth. You've looked to them for your joy for your love, for your security, and you've fallen into horrible sin. So here's the writing on the wall. Mene, mene, tekel parson. Numbered, numbered. Weighed, divided. God has numbered the days of Belshazzar's kingdom. This godless way of living has been weighed in the balance and it is found wanting. So it will be divided. The message, Belshazzar, because you've lived for yourself and not for God, you will lose everything. And in verse 30, that's exactly what happens, isn't it? See it there in verse 30? That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed and Darius the Mede received the kingdom. Babylon has fallen, right? This great king has fallen. All the things that he looked to, his wealth, his power, his popularity, his gold, his silver, they could not save him before the God who judges justly. 
And you know, friends, I, I take it that Daniel's words in verse 23 are just so telling, aren't they? See it there in verse 23? He says, You have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and all your ways, you have not honoured. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying in our lives, and especially in the chaos of our lives, we so often look to other things rather than the one who holds all things in his hands. So friends, what does this mean for us today? Well, you know, I think as, as we've been reading through Daniel over the past few weeks, there's been one thing that has kind of just kept standing out to me. And that is that it seems to me that the book of Daniel is really a tale of two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of the world represented by Babylon. And there's the kingdom of God, so often represented by Daniel. But just for a moment, I actually want us to contrast the two kings of those kingdoms. See, here in this story, we see Belshazzar, right? A proud, selfish, arrogant, immoral king who tries to live like God. But contrast him with the true king, Jesus. Jesus, who was a humble king. Jesus, who lived as a servant king, even though he was God. Or perhaps contrast how Belshazzar, in his insecurities, tries to, to cling to his power and, and how he desperately tries to satisfy himself. Contrast that with Jesus, the truly powerful one, who, because he was so secure in his father's love, he gave up his power. And he chose not the path of selfish, self-pleasing, but he chose the path of service, the path of suffering for the sake of others. You know, in Philippians 2, we read these amazing verses. It says, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, the true king, do you see? He had great power, but he humbled himself to the point of death even death on a cross. And you know, on that cross, Jesus' life was weighed. And when Jesus' life was measured, it was found perfect, wasn't it? And yet Jesus was divided. Jesus was broken. Why? Well, the answer is for us. For our forgiveness for our salvation. I mean, they were the words from the cross that Jesus said, weren't they? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. 
See, friends, you know, as I read this story, it seems to me that when we're honest, we know that we've all lived lives like Belshazzar, haven't we? I mean, we may not have had such wild immoral parties, but I take it that in our insecurities and in our uncertainties, we too have looked to other gods to satisfy. Like Belshazzar, we have trusted in things that aren't God. And so like Belshazzar, when our lives are weighed, when our lives are measured, we too will be found wanting. The writing on the wall is that each one of us deserve to be cut off. We deserve death, like Belshazzar got. We deserve judgment because of our sin. That's the writing on the wall for each one of us. But friends, the great news of Jesus, the new king, is that he comes in order to write a new message. Not a, not a writing on the wall that will condemn, but a writing on our hearts to mend. See, at the cross, Jesus writes a message to us with his blood, doesn't he? And his message is this, I love you. I'm dying for you. I forgive you. Your imperfect record that is found wanting, I take that on myself and I give you my perfect record. So on that day when you will be measured, you'll be brought in. Jesus says, because I give you my perfect record, you need not fear death. You need not fear eternity. When you trust in Jesus, you are saved and safe. You are his. Do you believe that message, friends? In an uncertain world where we are so tempted to go after other things for a sense of security, God says to us, believe that message. Believe the truths of the gospel. Believe the good news that in Jesus you are loved, you are saved, you are safe, you are secure for eternity. And friends, I take it that, that if we do believe those truths, then I take it that that will actually help us as we live in an uncertain world, won't it? I mean, I take it that, that instead of trying to control everything in our pride, maybe we'll stop and we'll pray. And we'll say, God, I don't know how this is going to go, but you do. And, and I know that you care for me. So God, please help me to to trust you. Help me to walk by faith. Help me to trust in your goodness and your control, your direction. And I, and I take it, friends, that as we start to pray and as we start to trust God like that, I take it that that will actually help us to not just withdraw, but it will actually help us to engage in our world in a way like Jesus did, that we would live lives of love. That as we kind of let go of trying to control everything, then we would replace that with trust. And that will actually shape, won't it, the way we speak. That will shape the way we live. As we remember God's great kindness to us in Jesus, that will actually help us to speak kind words, won't it? 
as we remember his great love to us, that would help us to live lives of love. As, as we remember how he kept going for us, that would help us to keep going. Wouldn't it be amazing if each one of us entrusted ourselves to the one who holds all things like that? You know, we can do that. Because in an uncertain world, we have one sure and certain hope. That in Jesus, we are saved. We are safe. We're his. Let me pray for us. Father God, um, you are so good to us. You are so good to us, particularly in the Lord Jesus. And Father, we know that because in your word you say to us that you demonstrate your love to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Father, we thank you that as we come to you and we trust in Jesus, you forgive us, you give us your spirit, you make us safe, both now and for eternity. And so, Father, I pray that as, as we leave here today, that we would live trusting in you, humbly walking in you, that we would live lives of love because we know how much you've loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Steve. Um, what an amazing message of the fact that we're held safely in Jesus' hands. Uh, and, and again, just how this, this message of Daniel written such a long time ago is so timeless and yet so timely for where we find ourselves at the moment. Um, if you have any questions about what you've heard, if you want to know um, more about what it means to put your trust in Jesus and, and to have uh, him as Lord and Saviour, to know that uh, you are secure in him, please reach out to us uh, via either our social media accounts or you can connect with us at connect at bendigobaptist.org.au. Uh, that's our email address. We would love to be able to connect with you um, and help you take your next steps on this journey of living life with Jesus, who is so worthy of our praise now honour and who holds our lives so safely in his hands. Uh, if you're here in the building, I encourage you to uh, stick around uh, and spend some time catching up. But I trust and pray you have a wonderful week and we look forward to seeing you next Sunday. Bless you.